own any cryptocurrencies? I don't, but depending on which one we're talking about, I have really missed out. Had I just bought Ethereum when this week's guest, my longtime Motley Fool Rule Breakers sidekick, Aaron Bush, first mentioned Ethereum on this podcast, well, maybe you did buy some. Well, if so, you've made well more than five times your money since that fall of 2017 appearance. Well, Aaron's back again this week, this time not talking Bitcoin, but instead NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Some of us know exactly what those are, but many more of us would, I think, have a hard time explaining them to the proverbial stranger on a train. Though, I once heard a stranger on an Amtrak train do just that, and well, in my experience, people into cryptos and NFTs, well, some of them anywhere are really, really into them. But for the rest of us, the intention of this week's conversation is to inform and to acquaint. No salesman here, not Aaron or I, though we are here, as usual, to make you smarter on the topic. Because NFT, crypto, or no, regardless of your investment choices, you will come away this week a lot smarter about what's happening today into the future. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Ah, yes, the familiar sound, the sound of rules being broken. Well, kind of. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. A delight to have you with us this week. I say us because my longtime compatriot here at The Motley Fool, Aaron Bush, who in fact grew up with The Motley Fool from the age of 12, learning, investing, from one of his parents, Motley Fool Services. Aaron, he's still only in his 20s, for many years now has been a Motley Fool employee. And one of my favorites, somebody who's great at thinking about the future, living backwards from the future, helping us invest today in where maybe things are headed today. Aaron does yeoman work across the Motley Fool, uh, Motley Fool rule breakers included. Well, we're going to be talking about non-fungible tokens, as I said at the top. Before I welcome him in and we get started, I guess I just want to say one thing. Not everybody is into the whole crypto thing. And as an investor, I'm not invested. I've always been pretty plain Jane with my investing. I love investing in common stocks. I've never even bought or sold an option. I certainly haven't gone the crypto route, but I respect it. And I always have an open mind about where the future is headed. And sure enough, maybe one day I'll be a big investor in some of the things we're going to talk about this week. But for a lot of us, the phrase non-fungible token is pretty opaque. And my hope is that our conversation will elucidate what non-fungible tokens are, what they aren't, the investment possibilities here or not, where the future is headed. And more than anything, I'm pretty sure Aaron and I are going to talk about games at some points because the overlap between NFTs and the video gaming and gaming world and the metaverse uh, can't be mistaken. And that's of interest as well. This will be a wide-ranging conversation. My hope is it makes you smarter, happier, and richer. I can at least promise smarter this week. Without further ado, let me welcome him back. Aaron Bush, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks for having me, David. A delight to have you back. It feels like anytime we're going to talk about something exploratory, anytime we're talking about, well, not just possibilities, because there is some kinetic energy. There's definitely action already happening. But you and I were speaking before coming on the air, and I was saying it's not really possible to sound authoritative or definitive about anything we're going to talk about this week. But for a lot of us, 
I think it makes sense to start with defining our terms. In fact, let me just give the brief outline of our conversation so people know where we think we're headed. Aaron, we give ourselves permission to go off the rails in a good way at any point, but I think we're headed to four sections. Section one, what are NFTs? Section two, why did they become so popular last year and what kinds of projects led the way? Section three, we'll go to, well, the future. Where else could NFTs go from here? And then finally, number four, how should foolish investors view NFTs? That's foolish with a capital F, of course. So for those just listening to this exploratory conversation, that's how I think it's organized. So let's start with number one, Aaron, right from the top. What are non-fungible tokens? Right. I think the best definition of an NFT actually comes from Wikipedia. They define an NFT as a unique and non-interchangeable unit of data stored on a blockchain. <laughs> of course, that definition doesn't lend itself to being intuitively understood, but I think it covers the basis pretty well. So let's, let's break that down just a little bit more. Um, first, an NFT is unique and non-interchangeable. That basically means it's scarce and one of a kind. Unlike something like the dollar or Bitcoin, where each unit or piece of paper is completely interchangeable. We, if we each have $1 bill in our pockets, we could use them the exact same way in the economy. That's fungibility. And NFT is unique. It's non-fungible. The second part to unpack is unit of data. Uh, in short, a unit of data can be text, an image, a video. It can be a digital item playable in a game or many other things, which we can dig into later. But in short, an NFT is a unique and non-interchangeable piece of data, really piece of code, which can represent a bunch of things. Uh, you know, most popular right now are images and art. You've probably seen, you know, a lot of talk about people buying JPEGs, you know, NFTs of JPEGs, um, but it really it can be more than that. And again, we can dig into much more of that in the the future section. And then the third and final part is stored on a blockchain. Blockchains are used when you want that data, whatever it is, to be completely and utterly decentralized. That that means that whoever owns that NFT truly owns it, and it is theirs to trade, to collateralize, and commercially use as they see fit. And the other unique thing about the blockchain is that it is a type of database that enables and enforces digital scarcity in a decentralized and financialized way. So it makes that unique data, again, whatever it is, tradable. The data becomes tokenized, so to speak, um, hence being a non-fungible token. And uh, we can dig into more nuances and whatever questions else uh, around that sure. as we get going. But I'll just pause there to ask if what I said makes sense. It does. And let's let's go a little bit deeper. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about um, World of Warcraft. I was thinking about a very popular game that's been running more than a decade, Activision Blizzard. And I was just thinking about gold farming, uh, which I won't even explain for the moment. But I was thinking about having an account on World of Warcraft where you have a unique character who's your character. You've leveled him up to level 57. Uh, he has an epic sword that is a rare, um, and a bunch of other digital assets. In effect, is that an NFT? Do I have a unique digital asset that could be traded or given to somebody else for value? Yes. In that situation, that unique sword would be an NFT. And just to kind of further the point and differentiate between fungible and non-fungible, um, Within World of Warcraft, gold, which is the currency, that would be the fungible token of that 
economy, while the unique digital items, the swords, the armor, the character, those would be the non-fungible unique tokens. Yeah, and I remember fungibility from my econ classes in undergrad. I was not an econ major. I did go to college assuming I would be an econ major, and then I decided to go the English direction. But I, I do remember that fungibility basically means replaceability. And as you were saying, Bitcoin is fungible in the sense that uh, if you own a Bitcoin and I own a Bitcoin, they are identical to each other. Um, and so they, they can be exchanged. But if I have an epic, unique sword in somebody's online game, uh, I'm the only one who owns that. Uh, another way I th- I've thought about this is, is sports. Now, I think about um, baseball cards. And now I'm thinking about physical baseball cards, a world that I grew up in, one you did too. They were more popular perhaps decades ago versus today. I, I can't speak to that. I know there's always going to be a market around the Hannes Wagner uh, card of uh, the early 1920s when even though he didn't like tobacco, it was sold in a tobacco packet. And today that Hannes Wagner card is worth millions of dollars. So there are a distinct number of cards that are printed by tops, let's say. Uh, and we know, especially with historical cards, that it's down to X number left. So there's an idea of scarcity and presumably generally transparent scarcity. Um, baseball cards, uh, football cards, etc. Now those things are digital increasingly. And NFTs early on came to my attention when a friend said, hey, have you seen NBA Top Shots? And I said, what's that? This is about a year ago. And I clicked in, and anybody can do this today. And you can see that what's happening at NBA Top Shots is kind of like basketball cards, except that they're digital, not physical, and they're actually video clips, not still images, at least the ones I'm thinking of. And so I think that the NBA has partnered to sell unique copies of five-second clips of somebody hitting a a three-pointer to win a game. And those are being actively traded today on the NBA Top Shots site. Those are NFTs as well. Am I right, Aaron? You're right. All right, so we're talking about uh, an epic sword in a digital online game. We're talking about a real-world NBA happening that's been turned, of course, thanks to TV, into a television clip that is now a unique digital asset tokenized at NBA Top Shot. And then, of course, you mentioned earlier art. And there's a certainly seemingly a very vibrant amount of art being NFTized, probably the wrong phrase, and uh, and sold today. And I'm sure some of it is legit, and I'm pretty sure some of it is illegitimate. One thing before we move to Section 2, why did this all become so popular last year? One thing, because Wikipedia is also my friend, I was reading that there's some question about the difference between proof of ownership, which is what you can get. You can say, hey, that epic sword is mine because it has this unique coding that means that's the only one in the world and I own it. And if I sell it to you, you get to own it too. But there's some question about proof of ownership separate from copyright. And I think the reason this could matter isn't so much for World of Warcraft, but if I were to sell you my painting that I've just taken a picture of and digitized uh, and, and you buy it from me, you do own it. and the blockchain will prove that you own that, but you may not have the copyright from me. And I might not be telling you, but I could be selling 37 other copies of that to friends because I own the copyright. So it feels as if there's some extra legal, lots of questions that still need to be ironed out in terms of what is the real value here and 
who actually owns what. Yes, I think that is extremely important. And right now we're in an, an interesting phase of the cycle where there are just so many open legal questions where we need the <laughs> SEC, we need different government um, organizations in the U.S. and around the world to to come up with the right rules and standards for how these things um, should work. It definitely applies to NFTs. For example, um, you mentioned NBA Top Shot. Like, that's an official partnership with the NBA. Like, any of us could, um, you know, you know, record clips and then turn them into NFTs and turn them, you know, you know, and sell them online. But they're probably that probably shouldn't be allowed. There should be um, rules around that. And in many cases, the market sorts that out for itself by knowing what is legit and not. Um, but there are many, many things to sort out there. I can give an example later where um, we're seeing some like like a new use case around commercial ownership um, appear. But this is an important question for how digital assets should work, how different types of cryptocurrencies should work, how you know brokerages should work. Just like basically pick your topic in crypto, and it's a, there are open legal questions that are trying to get sorted out right now. Well said, and we're kind of gliding along blockchain we're using the phrase we're not really defining it we're kind of assuming some knowledge or at least interest on the part of our listener we're not going to define every phrase this week we're we're kind of one click down from blockchain here talking about nfts but but blockchain at its heart represents it's a digital ledger it basically at its best it provides clear awareness of anything that's happened that you're documenting through the code of the, the digital asset we're talking about. So you can see exactly who made that deal on that date with a timestamp. You and I both agreed, and we made a bet, let's say, online. And you took your Texas Longhorns, and I took my North Carolina Tar Heels, and you won. And so if we were using blockchain to determine that, you would automatically have put into your bank account the $5 that I may have lost to you in a battle between our respective alma maters. So that's an example of blockchain. But at its best, blockchain gives us gives the world transparency around a lot of the assets and transactions and things we're hoping to do in the coming metaverse and the universe that we live in today. So these are really big, weighty topics, and we're still so early on. Aaron, if we're baseball, still top of the first inning for all of this? Maybe the second inning at this point. Um, and I think the first inning probably has played out over the past decade, but still, still pretty early. All right. Well, I feel like we've done a decent job. Well, you've done a good job um, defining our terms. So we've knocked out the definitions early. Let's move on now to section number two. Why did this all blow up? And I mean, in a popular kind of a blow up way in 2021. Right. 2021 was the year that NFT trading volume skyrocketed. The leading NFT marketplace, OpenSea, they just raised money at a $13 billion valuation. So this is big business and the genie is out of the bottle now. Um, that said, NFTs aren't new, and I think it helps to understand what's going on or what happened four to five years ago to better understand what exact changes led to what was possible um, in 2021. So I think just for a brief aside of history, the first NFT was maybe made in 2015-ish, um, and hmm. the very first wave of NFTs hit in 2017. So about the time that The Motley Fool, we started paying attention um, to crypto and started Crypto Society um, and, and started putting a lot of thought um, into this. 
CryptoPunks, one project, which they're essentially a pixelated collection of profile picture-looking images. Um, those released in mid-2017. And those are, as a collection, I think the first or second most valuable art NFT collection today, although it wasn't until, again, 2021 that those took off. Um, also, David, I don't know if you remember CryptoKitties, but those were like the NFTs that took off the most in that 2017 2018 era. They were unique digital cats that you could own and breed. And there was a little game around it. Um, and kind of the other thing that was interesting there is that, um, and this is this is broader than this, but NFTs are also composable sometimes, meaning that anyone can build on top of them. So there was also like a small market of crypto kitty hat NFTs, for examples, that owners would buy for their cats. So it was all kind of <laughs> ridiculous, um, but in a fun, experimental kind of way. The problem, though, at that time was that everything was built and running on Ethereum, but Ethereum was not very scalable. So CryptoKitties at the time basically jammed the entire Ethereum network and pushed transaction fees way up to the point where no one could really use um, th that network. Um, and the game behind CryptoKitties wasn't sustainable too, but it was a glimpse hmm. of what would be possible a few years down the line. So um, zoom forward to today. What changed? A few things. Um, one, more scalability in the underlying blockchain networks has occurred. So um, higher demands for compute for making all of these types of transactions can now be met with um, you know, a higher supply of compute. We don't need to dig into all the weeds, but in short, Ethereum has, has scaled quite a bit. Um, there are other layer twos built on Ethereum, such as Polygon, Flow, Ronin, and many more that basically take new technology and build on top of Ethereum to make transactions faster and cheaper. Um, and then there are also new blockchains like Solana that are competing with Ethereum by offering their own advantages. Um, so a lot has happened. But in short, the technology today allows for far more activity than it did five years ago. And there's just been tremendous infrastructural progress that has been made. Uh, second, there are just a lot more people involved in crypto today than in whatever capacity than in the past. We're still very much in the early adopter phase, but there are more people willing to spend money, get involved in communities and play around with digital assets. And because scalability is improving um, and there's you know demand for you know just experimentation and playing around, there are many, many more builders and creators tackling the space with new ideas too. So lots of artists are getting involved. Um, lots of creators with communities are using NFTs as a way to grow their income and involve fans. Video game studios are starting to think about how in-game assets can become NFTs and much more. So really, um, the infrastructure improvements were laid over the past few years that set the stage for a breakout moment. And 2021 um, really became that, that breakout for experimentation. Um, I have uh, maybe like two or three examples to share, but I just want to pause, David, and see if you want to, to add anything there. Sure. You know, you mentioned Ethereum, uh, and I just want to, I mean, when you came on this podcast years ago, you were already talking about Ethereum back then. I certainly remember Bitcoin when we first started talking about somewhere around 2017. As a company, we started a service helping people think through or advising them around where and where not to invest within this whole new world we're talking about. But Ethereum in particular, Aaron, 
at that time jumped out as something that was different from Bitcoin. It was a little bit more interesting. It wasn't merely a store of value. It had functionality. I do notice that Ethereum over the last two years has gone from about $500 um, a unit to about 3200 So it's, it's, it's a six-bagger here in the last couple of years. Do you think that's justified? Absolutely. Um, I, I think that we've seen an explosion of activity and entrepreneurial, just entrepreneurship around the platform. There's been a tremendous inflow of talent and capital that are building so many types of projects using Ethereum as its foundation. Um, and you know, it's it's hard to say exactly what the value of some of these networks should be. You can't as easily do you know a so-called discounted cash flow model on <laughs> on crypto networks as you can um, companies, um, but. I do think it's justified just because there's been a tremendous explosion of adoption. And and Ethereum in particular, and again, I'm going to guess about one in five of our listeners already knows this, and I'm guessing four in five couldn't, if you asked them point blank, identify what makes Ethereum special. But as I recall, it was partly this contractual nature of Ethereum. It was kind of like that bet that I made up that we had with each other. And for some reason, I let Texas beat North Carolina for that, that example. But you know that, that, that would be a contract that you and I make. And, and when uh, an outcome results, uh, one of us gets paid by the other. And that's part of what Ethereum, I think, promises. Is that why it's integral to NFTs in particular? Uh, generally, yes. So um, Bitcoin, you know, which was the top dog and first mover, really is viewed more as a store of value. It is a bit more than that, um, but that, that really at, at its core is what it is. Ethereum's catchphrase is the world computer. So really, they have built, they're building a like a Turing complete computer, meaning that um, <laughs> basically if you can come up with, you know, ideas to develop, you can make it happen on Ethereum in some way, whether that's, you know, just building whatever new ecosystem, whatever type of like new economy around whatever assets, um, like just so much is possible leveraging Ethereum because the code enables much more flexible development. Thank you. Now, Aaron, you mentioned you were going to give a couple of examples. I'm going to throw one out. Maybe this was going to be an example of yours. If not, since it made all the headlines, I'd love for you to speak to it anyway. People! The artist. Yes. I've never really hung with people, but I guess I wish I would have in retrospect because he created um, a piece of art that I think was sold for, I think it was over $60 million of value, one of the most valuable um, art transactions in recent memory. Um, a question that I have about that, first of all, obviously, I'm curious. I'd love any intel you can give us about that. But a question I, I had about that, I think when I read about it at the time, it wasn't paid with $69 million of American cash of dollar dollar y'all us dollar i think it was being paid with a cryptocurrency sometimes i've noticed that the big transactions are being done themselves with cryptocurrencies which has made me sometimes a little leery about whether actual value or that much actual value is implicit in some of the transactions now understandably aaron the big headlines are always going to be the biggest money transactions right those are going to be what generate headlines so any thoughts on the Beeple art sale and or, of course, the examples that you're going to bring of what exploded in 2021. Yeah, sure. I mean, Beeple was paid for in Ether, which is the token for Ethereum. Um, generally, you with NFTs, just with digital assets that are built on blockchains, you do need to trade for them. Like the economy works around the token. Like that is the currency of that network. And so... Um, 
that that's just kind of kind of the way it works, and that's just going to become more more popular. Um, so I don't really bat an eye at that. I think that's that was you know like a an early circumstance that we'll see many more of in the future. But yes, that was a huge moment of 2021 that I think solidified NFT art as you know quote unquote real art in the art world, um, which. Personally, I have no strong opinions about this. Like, if we started a Motley Fool art recommendation service, you should not put me in charge because <laughs> I, like, when I I went to the Louvre and I saw, you know, just so many people looking at, uh, you know, the Mona Lisa. Like, that's great, but I I have no idea why they're looking at that one versus all of the other ones. That's kind of how I feel about, you know, some of the you know the art movements going on with. Um, you know, the, the NFT space, I'm sure there's some great stuff there. If you have a great eye for art and you're a legitimate collector and have talent there, absolutely. There's going to be some stuff of value there, but that, that side of things is not, um, really for me, but it was a huge moment, um, for NFTs. Well, and surely part of the, the growth of NFTs in 2021 was specifically coming from the art field, right? Because artists could actually get paid and, whether the art is good, bad, or we're indifferent to it, uh, it's clearly a value to some. And so I think that was a natural, quicker uptake, right, than more complicated. We might talk about DAOs a little bit later. Jim Serwicki mentioned that on our Besties podcast just a month mm. ago. Talking about those, which we, we can get into that or not. But th- there is, there's a lot more complexity that you can start designing into the blockchain or looking for value to pay with cryptocurrencies, but art seems to me just a single image. If you know it's the only image of its kind, that's pretty translatable from artist to patron, from value creator to value buyer. Yes, art is simple, which I think is probably why it's a starting place for the types of NFTs that are gaining popularity um, first. But I also I also think what you said is smart in the sense that blockchains you know, at their core really are decentralized, meaning that they're built in a way where you can bypass middlemen and go direct to consumer in an entirely new way. And that's what we saw this past year. Um, So maybe go into a couple other examples. Um, One isn't all that different. David, I don't know if you've heard of the Bored Ape Yacht Club. You've probably heard that name tossed around somewhere. Um, But really all that is, it's a few thousand profile picture type images of digital apes of different types. They're, you know, zombie apes, you know, apes with different hats. And people are using them, you know, around Twitter as their profile images. It's sort of become this Veblen good, the status signal um, good. And they've they've built a really strong community around it. Um, You know, the art side of it, like, fine, maybe somebody thinks that's interesting. But the the interesting part to me is actually more that, um, you know, it's that community and those assets, they're all run and owned in a decentralized way. But the roadmap um, that they have for where this community is going is sort of what stands out to me. So not only do people own these unique digital assets, but it's starting to come with more perks. So for example, the NFT doubles as a ticket to unique events like concerts for people who are owners of of these board ape yacht club, you know, <laughs> images. There's a game being built for the community where people can use their assets in the game. They're partnering um, with the sandbox, which is you know this emerging virtual world that's being built. It also grants, um, unlike some projects, it grants commercial rights 
to the owners of those assets so that people can use their apes for whatever they want to do. Um, and so it, it kind of builds on top of that composability point I briefly mentioned earlier, where just by giving the community more ownership of what they do with their assets, you're just going to see a wider variety of experiments happen. Um, you know, probably a ton of these things that are being built out, they're just going to flop. But maybe there's something interesting in there that actually will come to fruition and also gain value. But really, you know, kind of tying a bow on on this specific project, um, there's a shift to not just have like hedonic value. You look at something and be like, oh, that's cool. It's a status signal. But actually adding more functional value hmm. to NFTs. And in this case, it really is more like social functional value that you become part of this community. You get access to these various projects that are emerging um, around that ecosystem. And the more that that happens, again, the underlying NFTs are scarce. Um, you know, so, you know, theoretically, as demand increases and the supply stays the same, the price will increase as well. And so you see some of that happening. Uh, you know, f as for the project specifically, I have no idea what's going to happen to it, but it's an interesting sign of where these things might go. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned it, Aaron, because I, I th I'm thinking about the power of community. I'm thinking about, um, well, in the early days of the internet, there was the well. And I bet some listening to me right now were actually members. I think <laughs> it's down to only a, a few thousand people now uh, who use those internet forums. I haven't checked out the well, but I certainly remember in the early days of the internet, the well was like the poster child for early online community and what that could mean. And while it's kind of a footnote in some ways now, 30 plus years later, I could see that being the case for the Bored Apes. I mean, it, it, but it's the community that kind of brings people together to start cooperating, to start transacting, to start building stuff together. It might sound silly, just like to some, the phrase whole earth electronic link, which is the acronym for the well, probably seemed a little geeky and weird back in the late 1980s when it was founded. But anyway, Aaron, I'm thinking about where are the communities? What are the interesting communities? What are the emergent communities? So at least I can, that's, that's a part of the elephant I'm looking at right now that I can understand. Mm -hmm. And I think this might be a good way to lightly segue just into mentioning what DAOs, DAOs are, Decentralist Autonomous Organizations. It's really just a new um, structure built on the blockchain based around whatever project or assets that brings people together all over the internet as a community to focus on whatever it is. It could be Board Ape Yacht Club. They're making a DAO. And a big part of that is to kind of more formalize that community and give more, um, you know, rights over how decisions are made around what to do with the, you know, the massive treasury that they have as they invest in new projects and all of that sort of thing. But it could be, you know, DAOs built around infrastructure projects, building new blockchains or building new, um, you know, development tools that could help with the development on various things. Um, it's really just a new way to organize people um, in a decentralized internet native way. Um, that again, there there's so many things that still need to be figured out. Government governments need to clarify, you know, how these things can be made, how they get taxed. So you know, so many pieces. There's so many tools being made to to help with governance of these things. How do decisions mm. get made within these organizations? How does money get managed within these organizations? Um, we're still very much at the infancy, but um, I do think you know over the next couple of years we'll see a lot of those 
questions and challenges get addressed. But really, um, for for the sake of this conversation, really, all that really means is that it's people from all over the world on the internet coming together um, with a common purpose in a somewhat structured kind of way. And a lot of this is occurring outside of the normal structures that we're used to, a lot of which involve legality. Uh, And so it's always been true of the internet that it races ahead of where society is, and we're all trying to kind of catch back up to it. And arguably, things are racing faster and bigger than ever before. It creates a really interesting time where decentralized seems almost like a major trend to pay more attention to over the next 10 years, this being one example. At various points in this conversation, I'm remembering watching Bryant Gumbel talk about the internet on the Today Show before people really knew what it was. That Those are the days The Motley Fool started, but you can watch a hilarious clip, maybe you've seen it, of, of Bryant being interrupted briefly to talk about it on the Today Show. And he's saying, what is internet? He's not even saying the internet. And I feel as if some of my language 10 years from now will sound silly like that. I doubt yours, Aaron, but probably mine because it's all emergent and it's a lot of it is unpredictable. But anyway, that decentralized autonomous organization, as you were calling it, a DAO, whether or not anybody listening to us this week is inspired to begin investing into NFTs, and many of us probably already are. I'm not yet, but I'm certainly open to it. But whether or not any of us starts transacting there, what you and I are doing is we're exploring And we're raising awareness about what's happening so that we can start being smarter observers, all of us, and participants in the value creation that is here, not just coming, that is already here. Right. And one last example before we we move on to what could happen in the future. And I'll try to keep this short. Uh, Axie Infinity, uh, which is a a video game. It's kind of been dubbed a play-to-earn game. Uh, The little monster creatures that you battle with in the game are NFTs, and you use them to win, to beat other players, um, and earn tokens from winning. Uh, And these tokens are, you know, uh, the game's cryptocurrency, essentially. The game itself, you know, in my opinion, is economically unsustainable as is. So I don't, you know, recommend going all in on Axie Infinity. And it's A-X-I-E. I, I, a gamer myself, I hadn't heard of Axie Infinity. I've certainly not played it. I do see it was created by a Vietnamese video game developer, Sky Mavis, in 2018. Axie, A-X-I-E, Infinity. Sounds like you're not actively playing this game, but it is an early example. Yes, I'm not playing it. It is an early example. Sky Mavis as a company is actually pretty interesting because they're taking their audience from this game and building much more infrastructure mm-hmm. um, and you know, you know, storefront for blockchain games. But Axie Infinity, um, you know, maybe they could turn things around, create new things, and and build, you know, extend the economy in new ways. But yeah, don't recommend going all in on the core Axie Infinity game. Um, but The interesting part I want to point out is that these NFTs became productive. They became productive uh, income generating assets. Hmm. And so we've seen individuals and organizations called guilds buy lots of these NFTs and then rent them out to players in developing countries such as the Philippines. Um, And then those players, you know, have earned the living um, by playing the game and then sharing a portion of those gains with the guild. Um, and so, you know, it's just sort of a random example and there's so much more experimentation and learning to do in the gaming space and elsewhere around building sustainable economies, finding a way to, you know, balance fun with, you know, having, you know, more like financial incentive in the game. Um, 
but uh, it really was the first time where NFTs were viewed not just as an image that holds value or you know an an image that makes you part of a community, but an item that can be put to work in a digital native way mm. and earn digital native money. And so that stands out to me as something that is important. Again, very early, but very interesting. Well, let's now shift toward looking at the future. Put on our futurist hats, as you you've said. Yeah. I, I, I want to start this by sticking with gaming, something that I love, something that you love, uh, something that is very interesting. Often so many innovations happen through games. Video games have innovated to the point that they outsell Hollywood these days. Over the last few decades, that's been an ongoing trend. So, so sticking with games and looking to the future, Valve. So Valve is the company that owns the, and built the Steam platform. And if you're a personal computer gamer or a PC gamer, you probably have played on Steam. You might actively be playing on Steam as you're listening to us speak right now. And Valve made a really interesting call just a few months ago in October. It said, we're not going to feature games that have blockchain or NFT digital assets within them. We're not going to offer games on the most popular big PC gaming platform that encourage people to create an epic sword that you could therefore buy from somebody else through the Steam platform. So that was kind of a, a line in the sand a little bit. I mean, that, that, they're drawing boundaries around a really prominent platform. Aaron, what is your view of that? And does that teach us anything about the future? It's not a surprising move, given that, again, the legal areas are very gray. <laughs> and um, it's easy to get in trouble. I think Valve, for example, has had issues like money laundering regulatory issues through uh, their you know, one of their marketplaces uh, where people could buy and trade skins of, of guns for real money. Okay. And so I think they've, they have a, a history there of seeing some of the difficulties that come with that and, and made a decision that, you know, at least it's too soon for them to commit to this kind of thing. Um, so it's understandable. That said, I think in the long run, it's probably going to be a mistake because I think, again, the genie is out of the bottle. Like this is happening. People are going to experiment and figure out how to make, you know, um, basically to, like create player owned economies in lots of circumstances. And if it's not on Steam, then it's going to go somewhere else. And so actually, you know, we mentioned Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis. Sky Mavis is building a Steam competitor for blockchain games, and they're building infrastructure. The, the Ethereum still isn't super scalable enough for um, tons of gaming transactions to take place um, yet, but they've built their own layer two, so to speak, that um, it built, builds on top of Ethereum, adds new technology to make um, the trading happen faster and cheaper. So they've kind of taken this initial hmm. success, initial audience, and then bootstrapped their way into building more important infrastructure to to you know, they hope to be the next Steam, and in, in some ways, for a, a new emerging genre of games. Well, and let's stick with games and game companies. There's another developer that I know better than Sky Mavis, although it's very interesting to learn more about them this week. Thank you for that. And that's Ubisoft, which just last month announced its own initiative to enable people who buy Ubisoft games through through this new approach to to be able to buy artificially scarce digital items using cryptocurrency. So kind of what Sky Mavis is doing, that's the that's the direction. I think they're a Canadian company that Ubisoft is going, although seemingly very unpopular. I think the I think it was announced on a YouTube video and it got like tons of thumbs down. 
which surprises me because often I'm expecting gamers and other crypto bros to be huge fans that they would be enabling that. So I'm not sure what that tells us about the popularity or who's cheering for what and where. And again, this is an isolated incident. I don't have any global view here. I have no, I can't even, you're helping me see some of the waterfront now, Aaron, but does that occasion any further thought from you in terms of in-game cryptocurrency purchases? Yeah, I do have a couple of thoughts. I mean, first of all, I do think that NFTs are generally unpopular with the gaming community. I think that companies need to do a better job of educating um, and explaining the value that could come from player-owned economies and actually owning your own assets and that kind of thing. Which, What is at the heart in your mind of that lack of popularity from that community? What is that community thinking when it looks at NFTs or thinks about them? I think part of it is companies you know, pursuing money grab opportunities where um, they, they'll make a lot of money, but really it's no different from the skins and guns that you already have in hmm. the games. And just having not seen great examples yet, I think has led to a lot of skepticism. Um, there's also been a big piece of that is uh, gamers being against the environmental unfriendliness of blockchains, which there's some truth to that, but um, in many ways, it's not it's not as big of a truth as many of them think. I definitely hear a lot about that, and I, I've been actively wondering about that. I, I admit not to having done much research here, but I I'm you know obviously people have been saying that about Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining, and it's not efficient resource drain, and we're trying to save our planet. Why are we doing this? Some people say it's worse with NFTs, but again, those are headlines. I don't know who's writing them. I'm not studying that. You're telling me that you think it's a little overblown, although it's still something to watch. I, I do think in the case of Bitcoin, Bitcoin consumes a lot of energy. But in something like Ethereum, just to keep it brief, Ethereum also consumes a lot of energy, but is going to shift over to a new model that consumes a lot less energy. And many other blockchains are moving in that direction. Hmm. And there's just a movement even within you know the crypto mining community to be green and how um, crypto is mined. So leveraging a lot of... Um, you know, renewable resources to make that happen. And some people say like, uh, you know, sometimes if you look at like wind turbines, they're, you know, on a windy day, they might be spinning, but they don't have just that day. There's not a place for that electricity to go. And they don't really have batteries there to be stored. So that electricity um, hmm. goes to waste. And some people are saying it actually is more cost effective instead of, you know, having a battery to when there is excess, just mine Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin becomes your battery, for example. So anyways, the rabbit hole of this can go very deep as well. But there, there are a few reasons why gamers are uninterested. And when I look at what Ubisoft did, I also was not very impressed. Um, I think it was a case where, you know, maybe it wasn't entirely a money grab. I think it was a first step and a larger vision for them to, to become a real player, a real contender in NFTs and video games. Um, but it's just, there were a few things about it that weren't quite exciting. And probably the biggest thing to me was the fact that there were so many rules around it. Um, it was a situation where um, you can only participate if you're, you know, over 18 years old, if you're in certain regions, if you happen to get banned for whatever reason, hmm. um, you lose access to trade these NFTs. And so it's sort of a case where, I think I said earlier, blockchains are really best used if you want to be completely decentralized. Otherwise, it's just an inefficient um, type of database. And I think this is a case where 
Ubisoft is not really leaning in that decentralized way. They're still very much like trying to control and centralize um, how NFTs can be used, which is understandable. A lot of these companies don't want to give up control because then it leads to completely different business models that change how value is captured. And I can talk about that a little bit too. Um, but because they, because they didn't lean all the way into a more decentralized model, not only did they make the more casual gamers angry who just don't understand NFTs or don't want it in the first place. But they also didn't win over the fans uh, who are really interested in crypto and NFTs. So it was kind of a tough spot to be in. I actually do think they can improve in a lot of ways over time. They were the first company you know, of its kind to make any move like this. So um, sometimes you have a first mover advantage and sometimes you have a first mover stumble. And this one was a bit more of a, a stumble. Well said, and I do want to correct myself. Um, Ubisoft is a is a French company. It does have a very substantial presence in in Canada, uh, French speaking Montreal, but also Quebec City uh, and Toronto as well. So um, at least in North America, it's a big presence in, in Canada, but it is it is a French company. And yeah, I mean, some of the pioneers end up with arrows in their backs. The old line goes, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't shouldn't still try to try to pioneer. We certainly, as fellow rule breakers, you and I. Aaron, we celebrate those that go against conventional wisdom and try to create something new and crazy and we hope valuable. And we know sometimes with our venture capital mindset that it will not work out. That's part of the reason risk is meaningful and real value comes to those who end up winning, especially the innovators. Right. Two more thoughts on... Um games, crypto, NFTs, everything that's going on there. Um, one, I do think it is different, but we will see echoes from what we saw with the rise of free-to-play mobile, where a lot of people were very skeptical about the rise of, hmm, you can play this game for free on your phone, but I like you know paying $60 for an awesome, you know, much more expansive game on my computer or my console. Um, and really what turned out was that these mobile free-to-play games companies, they didn't need to win over that audience. They created an entirely new audience that dramatically expanded the size of the gaming industry. And so I think we're going to see something similar um, with blockchain games, NFT-influenced games, um, at least in the earlier innings, where they're really going to carve out um, their own audiences. And we might see a little bit of overlap, but it's going to go in new directions, such as what we saw with Axie Infinity. It, a lot of people were playing, you know, in developing countries like the Philippines, et cetera. Um, and in the U.S., it was not popular, not even really mentioned at all. So that's one thought. And my, my second thought is that I really do think that, you know, sometimes changing one variable, in this case, making, you know, an, a video game asset like actually ownable and tradable by, um, by a player that one variable has a massive trickle effect in changing the <laughs> like the economics of yeah. how video games make money and then therefore how video game companies get valued. And so the real like change is that um, I guess I would I would say it like you're turning networks into players into markets of players. You're turning a network mm -hmm. into a market. And so what that means is that you're shifting from sort of like in the real world, when an economy shifts from a command economy where it's very driven by the government making lots of rules, controlling how all the goods and services you know, work in that economy and taking that and then opening it up and allowing for entrepreneurship, allowing for people to make their own decisions, to see opportunities and chase them, um, you see you know, tremendous growth 
in that economy. You see tremendous value be created in that economy. And so in video games, you're going to see a lot of the value that's captured um, in, you know, within video games be captured in these player-owned economies unless yes. profit's going to um, companies. And then if you sort of uh, play that out, it also just changes how how things are valued. So instead of value being captured in profits and then therefore in companies, the values get captured in these economies and therefore in these assets and in the tokens that people use to trade them and get voting rights of different kinds, et cetera. So it's a com- one little change has a massive trickle effect on how these economies and business models work. You're absolutely right. And anybody who's interested in Aaron going deeper with you in the world of games, just Google master the meta and you will find uh, more from Aaron, uh, who spends a lot of time looking at that aspect. And I, I'm a gamer, so I, I, it's more that I love the games themselves than that I need to care that much about the business models. As an investor, I always have. But Aaron, this feels a little bit to me like open source software. If if we can create good or even better software as a decentralized autonomous organization, we don't need Microsoft and Apple. We don't need the man. We can create through our own network, through our own new communities, we can create stuff. I'm going back to video games now. We can create video games. And when we invent that epic sword, you're the artist who who painted it, and I'm the one who coded it into the game. You and I can split the money 50-50 when somebody buys that epic sword, and it doesn't go to Ubisoft, potentially. It doesn't go to Activision Blizzard. So you can easily see how the whole world can shift because of the business incentives in place, especially if they get destabilized. And I'm not saying in a bad way at all. I think open source software has been a pretty remarkable thing over the last 20 plus years. Right. I think it'll play out in two ways. I mean, uh, I mean, before getting to the first way, I mean, it's sort of doubtful, even though a lot of these big companies like Ubisoft and Activision are looking at this, it's doubtful that they'll be the ones to really be the transformative leaders in these industries because they would have to transform themselves. And that's just a really hard thing for big companies with lots of different stakeholders. Yeah, Blockbuster had a hard time doing video streaming on the Mm -hmm. internet of entertainment. Right. Um, And and so really the two approaches I see, one is top down, but instead of being, you know, one of these already well-established companies, like you will see, you still will see more like centralized teams come together to build a video game, um, but do it in a way where, the purpose is for the economy to be open for players to reap the rewards um, for, to ev- eventually start like decentralizing some of the decision making in that game. And, you know, their incentive is they'll own a percentage of the token supply or uh, and so as you know, the value in the economy grows and they get accrued to tokens, you know, the you know, really the founders, the founding team of those projects will still be very much incentivized. And that's interesting. Um, the second part, the second path is more what you said, where you can start much more bottoms up. And so we haven't seen much of this yet, but there's a really interesting project out there called Loot, L-O-O-T. And basically it started as NFTs. Someone came out and was like, hey, here, uh, I'm going to drop these NFTs. And the NFTs are basically, each NFT is a list of words. Then those words are like uh, metal gauntlet, um, dragon helmet, um, <laughs> like fire sword, like all of these mm-hmm. things. And you have like this this list of, I don't know, like five or six words in your inventory. And then we've seen this development community around this these NFTs that dropped try to take those NFTs, those words, uh, which are the NFTs, 
to life. And so people are starting to build different types of games, different types of experiences around those NFTs. And it's very, it's not, you know, a triple A experience. It's not, <laughs> it's not anything that most um, traditional gamers would go after, but it's really interesting. Um, it's a, it's a open community bootstrapping their way to turning NFTs into all sorts of playable games where these NFTs, you have, you know, your your list of items, you can take them across all of these games and play them and therefore hmm. they get more valuable in that way too. Um, so as you can tell, I love talking about video games. I know you do too, David, but there probably <laughs> is a bit more more here we can, all we right. can tackle well, before we wrap up. We've definitely gone down, I think, a bit of a rabbit hole, but at least I hope for a portion of our audience, it was interesting and stimulating, but we'll, we'll let's leave that rabbit hole. We did get some listener questions. People in the field, in some cases, actively writing in. I wanted to say, I, I love this funny one from at Mr. Stringy Anthony Stringfellow. who said, one thing I'll never be checking out on any social platform is what NFTs my friends own. I find that slightly less interesting than a photo of their dinner. Well, that's kind of the cranky old man response. And I don't mean to suggest Anthony is a cranky old man. Maybe I'm the cranky old man. It makes makes me laugh a little bit. But yeah, I do see a lot of people hoping to be able to show off their full portfolio of all of their art assets. And at least for some of us, that's not of interest. In fact, it's probably the same people who wouldn't be interested in real life art either. And there are those two. I did get a great question from at Pro Shop Guy MF1. Mike was asking, Aaron, in the near future, all major social platforms will or may implement NFT verification. So again, it's one thing to know that your NFT has been verified on a new site that we may not trust or recognize, but what if Facebook went into the, the business of verifying that that is an actual thing and it is unique and et cetera. So now I don't use Facebook, but I'm pretty sure that's not happening at present. So Mike's question is, you know, allowing you to, to, to connect your wallet, display your verified NFTs on your profile. Any thoughts about that? I think it's certainly possible that that will happen. And you see a lot of these uh, social media CEOs in particular being pretty interested in Web3, as it's often being called, and more like decentralized internet that's more crypto-driven, more mm. NFT-driven, um, and trying to find their place in that world and not get left behind. And so you see you know, Facebook change their name to Meta. They're certainly going to try to play a role in some of this, although I don't know to what degree, you know, profile pictures will be a priority. Um, Twitter maybe has a more interesting case there in terms of profile pictures. Um, but really how I look at it is, of course, there's going to be some people who are really interested in this. It's a status signal in some ways. It shows being part of a community in some ways. Um, it brings tribes together, which is part of why social media mm. is interesting. It brings people together around things they're interested in. If you're interested in something else, some people have pictures of athletes, you know, as their their profile pictures, and they're like really into the sports corners of Twitter and Reddit and all of that kind of thing. This is just another expression of that, in my opinion. But really, more so than that, I think it's a sign of where social might go, which is away from, you know, just, you know, walls of text and walls of imagery more towards uh, more immersive, you know, immersive worlds might be part of it. But just mm -hmm. I think the internet is gonna be much more immersive. Avatars are probably going to become more important. And 
who you display yourself as in the digital world is going to become hmm. more important too. And I think profile picture NFTs are sort of a first wave of getting us to the point where we express ourselves in more and maybe a more 3D, more immersive kind of way with these unique digital assets. That's my mm. guess, although I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. You can yep. kind of see the earliest versions of that in like a Roblox, right? Where you you literally are avatars walking around virtual worlds and what you you can buy all sorts of clothing and items for your character. It's not NFTs, although I think, you know, at some point it might get there. Um, but I think that kind of behavior is going to be more relevant in the future. Well said. You know, I also just think about Minecraft and just people creating these amazing things that aren't in the real world. They're in, well, one of the metaverses and uh, and 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 the ownership of those or who owns that what or uh, the, the bragging rights of who's created the best version of, I don't know, the Great Pyramid at Khufu. I mean, there, there are all kinds of creations that have yet to happen that that people are going to invest their time and value and they're going to want to say that there is value created and hope that others will agree with them. This this letter in from Lisa Wharton, I enjoyed this. Lisa wrote, Dear fellow rule breakers, I've been paying attention to the red hot NFT movement in the crypto world since my son is going hard for it. He is an LA-based media artist, director, and NFT artist. He sold two NFTs so far and one was commissioned for the NASA Artemis Lunar Lander to take it to the moon on its next mission. He also got another potentially lucrative NFT commission. Best of all, Lisa says he's also a foolish investor. Her question, Lisa says, I've heard a lot about putting all our data on the blockchain in the future so we can manage it ourselves. So the NFT art movement, in that case, Aaron, would just be kind of the beginning Lisa concludes, artists are pioneers in the NFT movement, but if it's possible to put our data on the blockchain, all of it, when do you think that will happen and any possibilities you might want to elaborate on? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, congrats to your son, Lisa. That sounds like an amazing opportunity, partnering with NASA and all of that. So that's cool. Um, as for your question about moving all of our data to the blockchain, I think that is not going to happen anytime soon. The way I sort of view the order of operations of this is that, um, you know, blockchains still play a very small role in the types of data that we put on them online. And kind of the next step will just be taking more and more digital internet native types of data and putting them, you know, tokenizing them, putting into wallets, um, that type of thing. And so I think we're going to see more tokenizing the digital world before we even get to the point where tokenizing the physical world becomes a thing, such as putting your mortgages or your marriage certificates or whatever it might be on the blockchain. Hmm. I think there could be interesting applications there. In some ways, it makes sense having a decentralized, immutable record of all types of data like that. That sounds cool. Um, but I think before you know, the world changes all of its processes to adopt this new technology. It's going to be after we've already seen it work at scale in digital applications first. Thank you for that, Aaron. You know, it, it strikes me, I'm trying to pull myself and us out of this conversation for a second, return to, we'll just call it the real world briefly. You know, I have older people in my family just trying to figure out how to change their password on their iPad. And for a lot of older people, Technology that you and I might even think is fairly simple 
feels complex as we age increasingly complex for a lot of us. What you and I have shared over this roughly hour, this conversation, we're talking about things that are hard to understand in a lot of cases. And I'm getting back to the real world where some people don't have enough to eat at night. Our planet is threatened in various ways. There are all kinds of real world problems that feel much more urgent or real to me than so much of what we're talking about. Now, I'm assuming that you and I both share kind of a both and mentality. It's not zero sum. Nothing's replacing, in many cases, anything else. But it does strike me that this feels like an increasingly complex world where I'm going to want AI to help me figure out what the heck's going on. I think there's some truth to that. And of course, blockchain, the blockchain is not going to solve all of the world's problems, which is why, you know, as an investor, I am also invested in many other, many other <laughs> things, many other industries, many other companies that are creating good um, for the world in lots of different ways. Um, but yes, the economy, the internet, it's not um, a zero-sum game. There are many, many opportunities for many billions of people to pursue. Um, and I think we're still just getting started on that front. Well, and that's a really nice transition to the final section then. I'm not even going to call this the payoff section because I'm not sure I have anything big to say. I'm curious what you're going to say. But our final section is how should foolish investors view NFTs? I guess I'll just, you're the one who actually wrote me the question because you built our outline. So let me just ask you that question point blank. Aaron Bush, how should foolish investors view NFTs? Well, thank you for the question. I <laughs> uh, I think, you know, first and foremost, um, be careful whenever you see so many people, um, you know, you know, generate hype around any asset class, any type of, um, you know, stock or NFT in this case. Um, it's, it's just important to, you know, think before you do. And um, David, I know you've talked about the hype cycle in, in previous episodes. And I think that is a situation, uh, a, a, you know, a very real thing that could happen with NFTs. 2021 was an insane year um, for the market. It's not always going to go up like that. And I don't know what's going to happen in 2022, but it wouldn't surprise me at some point. Um, if there comes some kind of reckoning, I think it's pretty easy to say that most NFTs um, should not be very valuable. Um, there will continue to be more and more that are created, and a small percentage of them will will you know generate wealth in any you know real kind of way. Um, the other important thing to keep in mind, and I said this five years ago when we were starting to talk about cryptocurrencies, the best thing you can do is learn um, because um, first of all, it's just great to get smarter about and build context around this technology, this type of um, this you know segment of finance um, before putting meaningful money at work. But it's also important just because in the same way that it, it was with cryptocurrencies five years ago, it's going to be this way with NFTs today, where probably the most successful NFTs in five years don't exist today. And so I don't think you have to worry hmm. um, about missing out as much as many people think they do. If this really is going to be a big moment, a big movement, then um, you have plenty of time to get smarter, to take it slow, to learn by doing and just playing around with things um, before you jump in. I would also say that you probably don't need to invest in NFTs if you don't want to. The world is a big place. There are many ways to win. Companies are still awesome. They're still going to be here. Um, and so if you're interested in NFTs, great, dive in. If not, 
that's okay too. Although I still recommend um, staying aware of what's of what's going on. Um, so yeah, I really just think you should be a voracious learner. Plug in. I do think you know we touched on this a little bit. Not all NFTs are going to be the same. Some are going to be treated like art. It would be like investing in art. Some are going to be um, more productive assets. And you know, if I were an investor, that's more the kind of thing that I personally would be leaning towards and keeping yep. in, uh, like looking out for where are those opportunities going to emerge, uh, which there aren't that many today. Um, but that's what I would be paying attention to. You know, a real world example of that, Aaron, I don't think this is happening yet, but you could see how it might and maybe should. Tickets. Yes. Tickets almost for for any type of event. Tickets basically get resold a lot these days. StubHub fans paying twice or three times what the ticket face value is on the internet. Tickets are being repriced because, in a sense, they were mispriced in the first place, printed on paper, and then there's a whole resellers market around. It. Well, a lot of stuff, but just tickets themselves. I mean, every ticket in future could be certainly could be a unique digital asset, a non fungible token. So I don't think that's a world we live in yet, but I could easily see how that might come to be. Yeah, I had that in my notes too. We just didn't, we didn't get to it. And I think um, it, it it makes sense. It's an easy translation, but it also, we could also envision how it could be built upon. Similar to how I mentioned Board Ape Yacht Club, you know, you own this asset, it becomes a ticket to all of these different things. It provides hmm. all of these different perks. We could see the same thing with sporting events. You buy, you know, a ticket for your local go to a game for your local basketball team or season tickets, but it also comes with all of these additional perks of being in some community, um, you know, getting access and like owning more like highlights of what happened in that game in digital form. And there are people who are, you know, 20 steps of me, of me figuring out what that could be. Um, but I do think some things can be translated well and then built upon, which is really cool. Well said. Last question, and this one is also, once again, from at ProShopGuyMF1 on Twitter. Mike said, how much time, Aaron, will it take before the process for buying an NFT will be as simple as buying a stock? He points out, right now, you have to have your cash. You have to convert it to crypto. You have to create a wallet, and then you have to go find an NFT exchange, and then you have to buy. So that feels a lot more complicated for many of us lazy bums like me haven't even started or thought about it yet versus just clicking my mouse and buying another share of a good common stock, which is really where all my money has always been invested and remains invested today. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say in some cases it is easy. David, you mentioned NBA Top Shot. You can buy those NFTs with a credit card and then it takes all of the, the complications of you know, just converting dollars into digital assets and it does it all behind the scenes and users don't interface with it. And I think that's the way it's going to be in a lot of ways um, in the future. Um, beyond that, I would say if you own crypto, it is about as easy as buying mm. a stock today. Um, OpenSea is a great platform. Um, I've recently bought an NFT on Immutable X for a video game that, that's coming out soon that I'm excited about. Um, and you know, since I owned Ethereum, it was really easy to get done. Um, if you're starting at zero and then have to, you know, buy crypto to then buy the NFT, that is an extra step. But for people who are more crypto native, I guess I would say it really is about as easy. You know, two quick thoughts for me. One is I'm I'm distrustful. This is not specifically about NFTs. I'm distrustful of any assets where people are buying them with the hope that they will be able to sell it in the near term to somebody else 
at a higher price. If that is the dominant part of their investment thesis, I'm always going to be skeptical. And I encourage everybody, every fellow fool listening to me right now, I know Aaron would agree, to be skeptical as well. So if you find yourself in a situation where you think, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get that just because I'm pretty sure I can sell that to somebody else for even more, usually in the very near term is how that mentality works. I would, I would highly suggest you, you don't do that. Um, one other quick thought, you know, my snap test, snap your fingers. If something disappeared overnight, would anyone notice? Would anyone care? The things that are really going to jump out, I think, and count for value in the coming years in the metaverse among cryptocurrencies, NFTs, et cetera, are if you snap your fingers and that thing just went away, when would lots of people really care? Now, Aaron, you just mentioned OpenSea. In fact, I'm going to ask you in a sec just to give a few resources for further investigation for the intellectually curious among us. OpenSea, again, I'm not a player out there at the world's largest NFT marketplace, which is how it's being billed here as I Google OpenSea. But that's a good example. I bet if you snapped your fingers and OpenSea disappeared overnight, a lot of people would care. And that would hurt a lot, even though for a lot of us, it may sound speculative or something you haven't heard of before. So snap, snap. The snap test continues, I think, to work in many situations outside of just common stocks. Well, that was one resource maybe we could recommend for people's further attention. Aaron, what else? Either something we've already talked about or for further exploration. What would you recommend as a few resources we could check out on the internet to learn more about what we talked about this hour? Sure. So I would say um, two really great resources just for learning more. Um, Andreessen Horowitz, the venture firm, they put out um, two lists. One of them is called Crypto Canon, and the other one is called NFT Canon. And it's just a long list of like really tremendous resources for those who want to dig deeper great. and understand a wide variety of nuances of what, what's going on in these markets. So C-A-N-O-N, not, not the double N in the middle. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's, so it, it's... Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. What else? Um, and then, I mean, learning is a piece of it um, by reading or watching videos. But really, I recommend just getting your hands dirty. It doesn't have to be large amounts of money. But I, I think this is a situation where you can learn a lot just by being a part of it. And so um, you mentioned OpenSea, which is a way to, to buy um, and sell NFTs. And just you know, looking at that marketplace and maybe trying to buy an NFT through it, I think... Um, is, is a great way to learn and just see how the process works. But before you do that, um, you need to both have, uh, you need to both buy cryptocurrency and you need to have um, a wallet that connects to OpenSea. Mm. And so a great place that you can um, get started, it's very user-friendly um, and buy your first cryptocurrencies is Coinbase, which is um, a large, um, you know, uh, respectable, um, Basically, brokerage, sort of like a Fidelity or Charles Schwab yep. is, and in the world of of equities, that is a great way for anyone to to get started and buy cryptocurrencies. And I'm glad you're mentioning that, Aaron. In fact, I was going to ask you buy, sell, or hold Coinbase as a stock. The ticker symbol is C O I N. Intuitively enough, I do see the company stock is well down from its initial explosion at its IPO. It's still a very substantial enterprise, a market cap, as we speak, of around $49 billion. That's that's not small. Aaron, buy, sell, or hold that stock over, let's say, the next five years. I'm a buy. I I really like Coinbase. Um, 
not only are they the, the top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry, um, but they've very much succeeded at, at becoming um, the dominant number one place where lots of people get started um, with crypto. And on top of that, um, I mean, they have tremendous leadership and their CEO, Brian Armstrong, who um, really wants Coinbase to not just be a place where you can buy and sell cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. but also pursue optionality in different ways. And so we know Coinbase is also looking at building their own NFT marketplace. Um, they have a product called um, uh, Earn, I think, which is a great way to learn more about um, some of these projects and get rewarded in the tokens for them by um, just going through their process of learning. Um, they serve institutions um, very well. They're the number one player for um, helping institutional investors and companies um, secure their crypto assets. Um, and there's just a bunch of other projects that they're working on too, all sorts of developer um, tools, basically trying to be sort of like AWS, but for crypto and just build a bunch of APIs that lots of projects um, can build on top of to better incorporate crypto into what they're doing. And I, all right. I, I think it's a really cool company with a big future ahead of it. Well, there we go. And it's bouncing closer to its 52-week lows right now than highs. It's, In fact, it's almost cut in half from its 52-week highs. So maybe a timely consideration, a stock pick toward the end of a show on NFTs. But Aaron, mm-hmm. anything you want to wrap up with? Any final thoughts? Thank you so much for your time and your insights this week. Sure. Um, I would just say enjoy the ride. Um, have fun um, thinking about the future, learning about the future. Um, playing with the future. Um, and I think that's part of what makes Rule Breaker investing um, so fun and rewarding um, is being, you know, living in the present, thinking about all or living in the future in some ways, thinking about all the possibilities that that could unfold. Um, you know, you said earlier, David, that we're going to look silly in the future. And that, that's absolutely true. Um, what is but internet, think, Aaron? What is internet? What is internet? But I also think um, <laughs> by by spending some time, you know, having these conversations and, um, you know, doing the work to learn and play around while um, this industry is still pretty young, mm. um, we'll be at an advantage in the future as investors um, to be ready to take to seize the great opportunities as they come while having a fun time um, doing it. So that's that would really be my my final thought for you, David. Well, and you've helped us do that. You've helped us get a lot of us closer to that. Again, some of us already have our crypto wallets. I'm not one of them, but I'm certainly inspired to, to get started. I, I'm never the bleeding edge early adopter, but I'm generally an early adopter type. Aaron, I wouldn't be surprised if we get some additional questions and thoughts coming in later on this month's mailbag. So I hope you'll block out your last week of January. Let's have you back and and speak to this a little bit more. I, I, I hope, while we've used language at different points and talked about concepts that may still feel alien to some of us listening, feel well afield from where we are in this world today, I hope we've opened some eyes. There's a big new continent out there that's being discovered by explorers who are already on it, And a lot of us have gotten closer. We may not be physically closer, but mentally, psychologically, we are closer as a consequence of this week's Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. Again, Aaron Bush, thank you very much. Full on, my friend. Thank you, David. This was a lot of fun. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.